Well, this morning, uh, uh, I am so excited to share um, and continue in this series called Waiting on the Lord. And if you've been following along uh, in, in this series, you'll know we have begun every week in Isaiah 40. And the reason that we have begun in Isaiah 40 is because God really spoke to me about what he was doing in our church in this season, that we would see a sudden growth, that there would be a sudden, uh, 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 you know, many people coming into the kingdom this summer. And he said, hey, out of the ashes of 2020 will come life. Despite what, what's going on in culture, despite what all the stuff and all the news, God said, out of the ashes coming life. He says, I want you to focus on four things during that time. He said, focus on the seed of God's word, cleaning the soil of your heart, focus on soaking in my presence, which is really what we're focusing on today, and then on the beauty of the sun. And we're, we're going to look at that in the, in the, in the coming weeks. Now, um, but there was one scripture that this was all wrapped around, this whole idea, this whole environment, and it was this, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. By now, if you've been coming every week, you've got this one set to memory already, right? So you could quote it without reading it. If I took it down from the screen, no, 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 you guys are cheating. The cheat sheet's up, I can tell already. Why don't we just say it? Well, let's just say it out loud. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they will walk and not faint. Aren't you glad for that? That is you. That's you. That's me in this season. That's God saying, listen, if you will wait on me in my presence, I'm going to do a work in your life. You're not going to be that one that is walking around weak. Why? Because I'm the God who's interested in strengthening you. I'm going to renew your strength. You're going to run and not grow weary. You're going to walk and not faint. You're going to mount up on wings as eagles. Why? Because the wind of my presence is going to lift you to places you could have never gone on your own. That's the season that we're in. That's what God is doing. You say, well, what's the sudden growth about? What's it about? Well, just a couple of weeks ago when we had our baptism service, we baptized 23 people just a couple of weeks ago. Can I just tell you God's on the move? People are finding Christ in this hour like never before, and I believe that we are in a season where God is pouring out his spirit. He said for us, as a, for, to me and, and to us as a church, he says, I want you to focus on soaking. Now, I kind of laughed at first when God said, okay, now we're going to move into this time where you're soaking in my presence. And I mentioned it last week. Some of you guys installed lakes in your backyard. The last two weeks, you got a pond you didn't ask for. Oh, I've seen videos of all kinds of rednecks doing fun stuff. You guys are fun. You got rangers with ropes and floats, and man, you're skiing in your backyard, okay? You guys are awesome. But we're, I, I just laugh out loud, you know. Here, we get a couple of dry days. I'm like, oh, praise God, the sun's coming out again. Up. Oh. Here comes a tropical wave, right, when we're supposed to focus on soaking. I was like, I get it, God. We're going to focus on living in your presence, you know, and you're going to manifest in a way that is inescapable. I mean, I don't know if you went out in the last couple weeks, but I guarantee you at some point you were wet. And that's what God is doing right now. 
When God begins to move in a powerful way in a region, it's impossible to escape his presence. It's impossible to escape his mercy and his goodness and his love. You're like, even if you try, you put on your religious raincoat. I ain't getting wet. No way pastor's getting me wet. It's not pastor getting you wet. It's God moving by his spirit teaching us that we need his presence more than anything else. We need the presence of God. But I, 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 you know what? I, I don't want anybody to ever think that we're stick our heads in the sand kind of people. How many of you would agree that, that our world is right now filled with tragedy? Our, our world is filled with heartache. I don't know why. But at 2 a.m. Monday morning, the Lord woke me up specifically to pray over Boston, Massachusetts. Praying about a shooting. I saw a school shooting in this dream. So powerful, it woke me up. I, had, I don't really have a connection to Boston, Massachusetts, other than, you know, someone from our board used to live in Boston. I have no connection there except that God wanted someone available to get up and to cry out over a city that he wanted to protect, over children. And listen, I hope I never hear of a tragedy. You know what that means? The prayer worked. The intercession worked. But our world is filled with tragedy right now. There are people right now, I mean, fighting for their lives in, in, in hospital rooms. Seven Rivers and Citrus Memorial right now. Fighting for their lives, dealing with COVID. This is why we have been praying uh, literally every day our office is open. When we broadcast daily prayer, we pray every day for the end of the COVID-19 crisis. And you know what I believe? It is ending. On Friday night, I got to stand out there with even some people from another church, uh, some people we know from our, com uh, from our church and uh, in the community, and we have people who are sick in the COVID ward, but we went and stood outside that hospital Friday night and cried out to God, and let me just tell you that if you will believe that God is moving, he is moving. We cried out, and suddenly the people who were suffering the day before that morning Suddenly, they can get up from their bed. They can move around. They can eat again. They're like, this is the day. God has touched me. God is moving. Listen, he will move and is moving. If we'll simply become very aware of it. Now, I recognize with all of those things going on that the temptation for us is to simply be reactionary. That means I see all of the problems and I simply react to the problem. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a reaction to anything, usually it's not good. What God is saying, I want you to respond to the chaos. I want you to be people who respond to the chaos in the right way by finding my presence and carrying my presence into the chaos. By being people who walk with Jesus, and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this, this today, what I'm going to share to you, share with you, comes from the Old Testament, and it's a story of Abraham in Genesis 18. You can follow along in the Bible app. All of the notes will be there for you. You can launch that and find it. You can find it through our website, Calvary.online. Today's message, click it. It'll come right up on your phone. But I want to tell you a story about Abraham because this was a moment where God's presence showed up 
in the midst of chaos. And it unlocked his destiny. And I believe that that is exactly why we are, are being called in this hour to focus on God's presence. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 1, says this, Then the Lord appeared to him by the Tebranth tree in Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Now, I want you to understand from the very beginning that these three men are an Old Testament type or shadow or example of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is Abraham's encounter with God. So at first glance, maybe that could be a little bit confusing, but when you read the whole story, you see that these are not normal men, okay? This is God visiting Abraham. Now, the the name Abraham means father of many nations. And at this time, he was not that. This moment actually happens about 24 years after God gives him a promise. The promise when he takes him outside and says, Abram, look up at the stars. You see the stars? That's how many your descendants will be. And yet, he begins to walk and, and, and nothing happens year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year ten, year eleven, year twelve. Nothing's happening. And then he kind of tries to take matters into his own hands and thinks, well, Sarah's got this servant. And, and perhaps, you know, from their culture, they thought, you know, if she has a child through me, maybe that's how the promise is really going to come to pass. When God said, no, that promise is coming through your wife, not through your, the, the servant of your wife, but still they went ahead and they thought, well, maybe we'll try to make God's promise happen in, in our own strength. They have a, a, a son named Ishmael. By the way, we're still dealing with conflict today connected to that bad decision. Ishmael still is stirred up in the Middle East all these years later. All these years later, 4,000 years later, still stirred up. But here they are, and that's, he's not the son of problems, causes problems in his family, but he keeps walking, you know, so 14, 15, 16, 17, 20 years, 22 years, 23 years, now 24 years, and still nothing to indicate that the promise was going to come to pass in his life. And the situation is hard. It's hard. It's a tough situation. Matter of fact, it's so bad that if I mentioned the name of the city that he was living near, you'd really know how bad it was. Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the closest city he's got to go to. That's the place. So the city, 
is steeped in sexual immorality, steeped in sin, steeped in rejecting God and rejecting righteousness. They said, we don't want anything to do with God. We are our own gods. And here's Abraham trying to live for God, got a promise for God, and yet it's not working out. And yet, here comes Genesis 18, where Abraham finds God's presence in the midst of chaos. And I want to point out some things about how you can find him too. How we can soak in God's presence regularly. I want you to notice there's three real keys. First key is this, that we can learn from Abraham. He was awake. He was awake. Notice where Abraham is. He was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Listen, everything in this culture, especially in the desert environment, when it was hot and in the heat of the day, people go in their tent to sleep. There's no way that they can actually be uh, function and, and produce the way that they would normally like to produce. So what do they do? They retreat in the heat of the day and they go inside and sleep until the heat passes in hopes that it will. Then they'll come out and try to be productive. But Abraham was not sleeping. He was awake when others were sleeping. Listen, the conformed will bend to the heat of their circumstance, but the transformed will look for a God who will change it. I love what Abraham was doing. He is broken. He's got these promises that hasn't happened yet. His family structure is messed up because of him trying to make things happen in his own strength, but at least he's still sitting at the tent door looking for a God who will move. He's awake. And I want you to understand that there's a New Testament instruction for the church to receive today. If we're going to learn to really live in the presence of God, it comes from Romans chapter 13 and it says this, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Notice these words. And do this knowing the time. That it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Here's the instruction of the New Testament to the New Testament church. Stay awake. Don't be lulled to sleep by culture. Don't be lulled to sleep by circumstance. Don't let the heat of the day press you into hiding. No, no, no. At least muster up a little bit of strength to keep looking for a God who can change your situation. Now, I know this doesn't come natural for some people. When I was in eighth grade, I was in uh, this school, Mulberry Middle School in Polk County, Florida. In my eighth grade year, um, I had a wonderful experience. Not only uh, did the high school give to the seniors, senior superlatives, you know, that one most likely to succeed, most likely to be a millionaire, 
most likely to be a great mom. All of these wonderful, wonderful descriptions, you know. That's what superlatives are supposed to be. Well, they, in, in, in this little school, they, they handed out superlatives to the eighth graders and created a new category. <laughs> that year, because I had never seen it in previous yearbooks, they came up with a new category. Sleepiest eighth grader. You want to guess who won? This guy right here. You say, why? Because even though I love history, I had one of the most boring history teachers on the planet, okay? This guy was worse than an NPR DJ. If you don't know, don't go look it up. You'll go to sleep. Hi. He would stand up in front of the class and in his soft-spoken way, class, today we're going to learn about the Civil War. <sighs> and it would be about that time that my head would begin to snap. His, his, his class was right before lunch. So I'm starting, uh, yeah, you're like, oh, this is going, coming all together. No, 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 it's his fault. And so what happened is every day in this low tone he would speak. And I could not help it. There were sleep magnets in my desk. <laughs> and I would just go to sleep every day. But this teacher, even though he was soft-spoken, thought that he would maximize this moment by influencing the rest, of the, the, the rest of the class to be quiet. So they would see me sleeping, and he'd be like. He would continue to teach, and what they would do is, you know, we used to have to pick up our chairs and set them on the desk right before lunch, right? And so here I am sleeping. The whole class silently backs out their chairs. I mean, it was a brilliant move on his part. They all are getting their chairs, setting them on the desk, and he, they are quietly creeping out of the room every day. I mean, some days I would wake up and hear my little missionary Baptist background. I would look up. Everybody's gone. I'm like, the rapture happened! <laughs> I'm like, no, I'd walk into the lunchroom late, and they're all laughing, you know. We got you again. So, <laughs> so when those people would say to me, it doesn't come naturally for me to be really awake to God's presence, I get it. I get it. But I will tell you that God would never give us a command to wake up if there wasn't a grace to wake up. There is a grace that comes from God to make us awake and aware no matter the heat of the day. 
We must be awake to Christ and his leading and his presence if we are to have encounters that unlock our destiny. You see, there was a moment when Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, he was experiencing pressure. And this is where this verse comes from. from he says in 2 Timothy 1, he says, Therefore, I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, I want to call your attention to verse 1. Listen, if you've ever prayed, God, would you stir up the gift? God is going to gently whisper back, you read that verse again. Stop asking God to stir up your gift. When God says, you stir it up. You fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. You can actually do it. If God has marked your life through the blood of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and you find yourself feeling the heat of the day, the chaos of this world is all around you, I'm telling you, it's time to get the fan. It's saying, oh, I'm going to go back to that work that God did in me. I'm going back to the things that God began to do me in, and I'm going to stir up that gift. So I thought it was your job, pastor, to stir me up. Well, I'm going to do my best, but I'm not the stirrer. You are. You are. Romans, wake up. Second Timothy, you fan into flame. If you want to be aware of God's presence, you have to say, God, I'm going to take some personal responsibility. And secondly, Abraham responded to an opportunity. He responded to this opportunity. What was the opportunity? He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Notice what Abraham did when he saw the opportunity to meet with God. What did he do? He ran. He saw God. He ran. He bowed down. And then he cried out to God. He saw. He ran. He bowed down and cried out to God. I have to ask you, church. Because when I read this, I said, God, when's the last time my pursuit of you looked like this? When I see you moving and when I see an opportunity to be in your presence, Lord, do I leave my tent door and do I see you and what you're doing or are my eyes closed to what you're doing and the only thing that I have my eyes set on is my circumstance? Oh no, he saw him. And when you see God moving, it ought to cause you to run to the things of God. Listen, we've been running to everything else. How's that worked out? We've been running to government. How's that worked out? That's not working, in case you're wondering. That is not working. We have run 
to every kind of consolation that we can, we can come up with. But I want to tell you that when you see God moving and you hear about God being near, you ought to get up in the midst of your circumstance and run to God and then humbly bow yourself down to Him and cry out to God. Listen, you have got to take advantage of the opportunity that is before you now. You can't think, ah, a month from now I'll get right with God, a year from now. I'm going to sow my wild. I'm going to do this. You will miss your moment. When's the last time your worship included that kind of passion? Running and bowing and crying out to God. We have a New Testament promise in James chapter 4. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What did we do in that moment? Cleanse your hands, your sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Here it is. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. This is what Abraham did. He humbled himself before God in a broken moment. Still not experiencing the promise of God in a broken family. But he humbled himself when he had an opportunity to meet with God. Do a little Bible quiz here. Most people have two verses in the Bible memorized. One of them comes from Matthew. I'll let you finish it for me. Judge not. Wow, you guys are amazing. And most everybody could probably quote the shortest verse in the Bible, which is? Jesus wept. We don't really realize or think of our Savior as weeping much. What caused him to weep there was Lazarus, his friend, has died. He sees other weeping and in pain. And it says he wept. But did you know there was another time Jesus was weeping and it wasn't over a person, but it was over a city? And let me just say to you, what would cause our Savior to weep. Let me show you. It says in Luke 19, 41, as he drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and wept over it. And he said this, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that would make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. It's like you can't see it. You're not lifting up your eyes. For Days will come upon you when your enemies will build embankment around you, surround you, and close in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Listen, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Listen, it isn't just about say, well, you know, maybe I will, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'll come and worship. Maybe, you know, once a month I'll go to church. Listen, I, I, I love whatever level. You're at, but I'm just going to tell you, you're going to make absolutely zero influence on the culture living some kind of lukewarm life. If we don't give ourselves to the opportunities of meeting with God, of being in His presence, of being letting His hand come upon us and transform us and legitimately change us, listen, here's what's going to happen there'll be more suicides that we stand around caskets over high school students. Why? Because the church said, ah, once a month is good enough. 
enough. No, it's not good enough. It's not good enough that there would be such destruction in a young generation on the church's watch. It's not good enough when God is near. When we have the opportunity. He wept because they didn't know the hour of visitation was here. I'm praying that our prayers would begin to share the words uttered by Abraham. Do not pass me by. He sees God. He sees an opportunity to meet with God. And he says, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Suggesting that God would have. What was he doing? We find out later in the story. He says, I'm going to check out Sodom and Gomorrah and see what I'm going to do in that situation. But in the middle of it, Abraham cries out, says, I see an opportunity to meet with God. And it caused the Lord to pause to re repeat the promise he had made 24 years ago and give him extra details. I love this. Jesus today is extending an invitation to us personally, corporately, and nationally. This is the hour of your visitation where you can host my presence in the midst of chaos. Our cry as the church should be, Lord, do not pass us by. There is that invitation today, church. I want you to see the third thing that he did is that he created space for Christ. You see, the three men it represents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Abraham created space for Christ. See, what did he do? He said, please let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring, notice what he says, a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And that you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servants. They said, do as you have said. Notice the two things that he promised to bring. A little water for foot washing and a little bit of bread. But I want you to see what Abraham actually did. Verse 6 says, so Abraham hurried into the tent and said, Sarah, get in the kitchen. I confess that that is not good for your marriage. <laughs> I saw this, got excited. My wife fixed me. I'm still trying to get her to call me Lord. Sarah called Abraham Lord. She ain't doing it. She ain't not doing it. <laughs> he says, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal and knead it. Make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree 
as they ate. Now, many times we read this without actually thinking about how long this process took. Oh, man, one month from now, men will start being men again. We will rise early in the morning. We don't care how hot it's going to be. We will cover ourselves in shades of brown and tan from head to toe. We will climb with a, with a, with a, with a, a weapon that slings an arrow and its mystical flight will pierce God's surfic, perfect source of protein, venison. It's coming. Soon and very soon. One month. Can you tell I love hunting? But uh, um, on opening day, many people will have the opportunity to harvest game. But the work begins when you go and find the animal. And you have to take that animal. And if you're like me, I don't pay somebody else to do it. I like to see my meat when it's walking. That way I'm really comfortable when it's on my plate. (laughs) And then it begins the hours-long process of preparation. Do you understand that this scene took hours? And here they're busy, and they're working, and they're moving. God's available. He's staying. He's put pause. He has lengthened the encounter with God. And notice this. The heat of the day is never brought up. The circumstance in which this encounter is forgotten. All that means that, listen, you can have an encounter with God because you go a little further than what's required. Remember what he promised? I'll give you a little water and a little bread. He went and got butter. He went and slayed a calf. They cooked it, put it all together, and Moses was there the whole time God was receiving the sacrificial gift Abraham prepared. When's the last time you did more than what was required? We sometimes mistakenly boil down our walk with God like, oh, if I just don't lie. If I just don't, if, if, if I just don't, if I could just obey those ten commandments, I'm, it's just, I'm just, just going to try to do what the bare minimum. That's just not what Abraham did. And it was because of this heart to say, God, I want to give you something more. It created for, a, for him a lengthy encounter with God that led to God's proclamation once more over the promise that was made on his life with added details. He's been waiting 24 years under the pressure 
I'm saying, God, you said you were going to do something in my life. But look, it's broken because of me. And God, because of Abraham's sacrificial gift, the way that he said, God, you're worth everything. Whatever I can do. God says, Abraham, by this time next year, you'll be holding the promise. It was so unbelievable that Sarah heard God say it and she laughed. They say, why does she laugh? She's 89. I mean, when, you, when, when Sarah walks on the beach, you see two footsteps and drag marks. Everything <laughs> is droopy. Hey, I read the Bible in HD. I don't know what version you got. <laughs> You'd laugh too. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, <laughs> the point being is that there was nothing in the natural that would say, yeah, one more year is going to make any difference with this situation. And yet, Abraham and the way that he pursued God and saying, God, I'm going to give you more than what's required. I'm going to go further. I want to live in radical devotion to you, God. I don't want to just make heaven. I want to bring heaven to earth. I want to make a difference on this planet. I want to actually see your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. I want to see the promise come to pass. And out of that heart, God says, by this time next year, you're going to be walking in the fulfillment. And I've been sent here on on assignment saying one year from today your life is going to look radically different than it does today you're not meant to back up you're not meant to bend under the pressure of what's going on in culture or what's going on with pandemics or anything else God is saying one year from today if you will give God the sacrificial gift of saying I'm giving you all my love all my devotion I'm getting these things in my life out that may be permissible but not beneficial. It was that kind of life that led to the fulfillment. In the early 20th century, there's an island in the British Isles called Wales. And Wales experienced one of the mightiest revivals that we've seen. The Welsh Revival. There was a, a young preacher who was meeting with six students in Wales. There was these stirrings going on in the Methodist churches. God was beginning to move. You could see that there was something available. And Evan Roberts called these young people together, and they begin to reach out to God and say, God, we're not just giving you what is necessary. We're giving you all of us. Now, listen to what happened. In eight weeks' time, 100,000 souls came into the kingdom. Now listen to me, it started with one man saying, God, I'm not just bringing you a little water and a little bread, I'm bringing you everything. And this group of young people begin to cry out to God, and one of the greatest worldwide, it touched the world, the Welsh revival was on, set off by saying, God, I'm going to do 
whatever it takes. There were four things. Four things they said that I believe that if we'll see, if we will say these things as a people, then we will see God move in a similar way in this region. Those four things are this. First, confess all known sin. That was the, the mantra of those times. It would, it would continue to move through Wales. And people were saying, listen, everything that I know that's in my life, I'm confessing it to God and turning away from it. Secondarily, they said it this way, that they were going to put away doubtful things. The way they described it, they said any gray area that exists, you know those disputable things, those things that some Christians do and other Christians don't. They said, I'm going to put away those areas of compromise, and they connected it to forgiving everyone. They said, I am going to forgive everyone of every sin, no matter how harsh the betrayal, how, how stinging the treatment. I'm going to forgive everyone because many times we embrace gray areas, which are coping mechanisms. We have these addictions and these things that we rely on because we're trying to manage the pain that God wants to heal. But since we've decided we're the doctor that can fix it, then we're just going to manage it with these coping mechanisms, these gray areas of our life, instead of forgiving these people and letting God be our defender. But they said, we're letting all of that go. We're going to live as free people. It was next that they said, we're going to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. No more ignoring the voice of God. No more ignoring, ignoring those, those silent moments of leadership. Sometimes as quiet as just an impression, they said, that's enough. For me to share, for me to love, for me to reach, for me to serve. And then lastly, they said, no more quiet Christianity. We're telling people, Jesus is Lord. You say, did it have an effect? Yeah, it did. Bars closed. That was very uncommon. All of them closed. Gentlemen, listen. Can you imagine if such a revival came? that they shut down the NFL, that's what happened in Wales. They stopped. They, it, it was like God was moving so powerfully, they stopped pursuing their sports. I'm just saying, listen, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. I'm just saying sometimes pursuing God is better. It's better. It's time that we publicly follow God in a real way. And listen, he's available. He's available to you. I know it's hard right now. I know some of you are going through some real stuff. But today's the day where you're going to see God run to him, cry out to him. And he's going to move. And out of that interaction and intimacy, you're going to see the promise that God has made over your life fulfilled. And see, oh man, I can see what my life will look like soon enough with God's hand moving in me.